welcome to Ana Conversations with Myanmar. If you'd like to add your voice to the conversation here at Ana, please reach out to us through any of our social media platforms or you can email us directly. This conversation features Rahel Lam, co-founder of Cup of Color, a non-profit organization built on the belief that beauty and truth can be found in the converging of many different voices. Their vision is to empower people living under hopeless circumstances by doing visual arts with communities. Rahel and her husband Damon, a Hong Kong activist, know all too well what it means to lose your home and not be able to go back, to look at violence from afar and feel a sense of guilt for not being able to do anything to help. So when they got the request from a Myanmar activist to paint a wall in Switzerland for people suffering in despair and fear under a brutal regime, there was no hesitation. If they could do it, they knew they would. From this encounter, the Wall for Myanmar initiative was born. Here, Rahel talks about the motivation behind Cup of Colour, the desire to spread hope and resilience, especially to forgotten countries and peoples, and the importance of the Wall for Myanmar in helping Burmese people express their pain and suffering so that they can hopefully one day heal. Let's start the conversation. Okay, so uh, today uh, we have Rahel from Cup of Colour on Anna podcast. And um, we're really excited to talk to you about this beautiful initiative that you guys have in Zurich. So Rahel, you're very welcome. And if you wouldn't mind just introducing yourself. Hello, my name is Rahel. I'm a mom of three kids and I'm married to a Hong Kong guy. And yeah, we live in the mountain hills in Switzerland. And we founded an organization they call Cup of Colour. Actually, inofficially, we found it seven years ago. Officially, it's now four years. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about the organization and, and the message behind it? Or You, you have a, a kind of a bringing together of people around the world. Maybe explain mm-hmm. a little bit about the motivation behind it. Yeah, so actually, 2012, my husband and me, we were in Pakistan. And we were kind of working on a close faction design label. And we experienced a time right before a massacre. And I think it was, we didn't know that. And we left Pakistan before the massacre happened. And it was very life-changing because we experienced how our son got very sick. We didn't know if he going to survive it. I was very sick. We had very, very tough circumstances. There was no medical help at that place. Or I kind of not Western medical help. And we also couldn't kind of leave the place. And it was the first time where we experienced what it means to be in a place where there is kind of hopelessness or kind of a situation where you really feel desperate and where you, where you experience war in the air. And it totally changed us. So when we came back, we were like, we were selling our clothes on Christmas markets and on fairs and stuff. But we always were saying, this is kind of not the world where we want to invest in, or this is not the world where we're supposed to be in. And we started to talk about what would it mean if we make art at places where there is concrete deserts, where there is people are no hope, where people feel desperate, where there is some kind of resignation, where there is mental, physical, or sexual abuse. And we were always talking about it, but we have three kids and we were thinking like, oh, I don't know how we can manage that. How can we fund that? How can we do that? In 2015, finally, lots of things happened between. I had a very strong dream and I woke up in the midst of the night and I woke up my husband and we were talking about it. 
And it was a dream about if you don't do what is in your heart, you kind of lose your tree of life going to die. And we were talking about it for a very long time. And we realized maybe now it's time to, to really do what is in our heart. And then, in a, which is actually a crazy story, because in a free month, we sold everything and we left Switzerland with three kids to Asia without knowing what to expect, without having any support or anything, basically, just having friends who, who were mentally supporting us. And we left to Asia with the goal to bring art or hope through art to desperate places. This is actually how Cup of Color started 2015. Then we started to work in red light districts, in refugee camps, in different places. And more and more, we realized that murals is a very strong way of creating to get a beauty in places where people have no voice anymore. So we're facing a lot of people, they, they experience abuse, traumas, they experience very difficult situations. And what we basically do is we go, we live together with them, and we figure out together what means hope for them and us. And then we kind of start to draw walls together. This is how we work. So we really live in the places and then we create together. I think it's kind of a way of together surviving in very dark places and understanding what hope means for the opposite. This is actually what Cup of Color is doing. So we go in places, we paint together and we create hope. We don't bring food. We don't bring um, clothes, but we try to go on the same level to really to empower people that they see, I can change my surrounding with colors or I can change my surrounding by very little things. Because I believe very strongly that resilience or hope starts inside first. And then we can kind of see what is the surrounding and we can see possibilities again, which we didn't see before. And so it comes to the question, why do we do this mural in Zurich? I guess this is kind of not in the community, right? But as my husband experienced Hong Kong as an activist. We know what it means when you lose your home and we know what it means when you cannot go back. And we know what it means when you're looking from far at pictures of violence and you feel so helpless and you feel so guilty that you're not able to help. And this was kind of starting in the midst of our cup of color work where we lost our home, which we really loved by ourselves. And there was very, I think, one of the most painful process I've ever experienced in my life. I think it was a very diverse level. It's home, it's family, it's guilt. You should be lucky because you're in a nice country, but somehow you don't feel lucky at all. You should be happy, but you kind of feel like voice all the time surrounding you. So in this process, we often thought about what happens to all the other people in Switzerland, they lost their home refugees who have no home, would they need the same like us? Do they have the same feeling of shame? Do they miss the same little breaths, maybe? You know, like little things like you it's interesting because when you when you cannot go back, you suddenly miss the smallest thing. You miss the bread, the air, the stones on the on the floor, the the walls. You you're missing things. You didn't even expect that you're gonna miss them. You suddenly miss your I sometimes miss my father's in law snoring noises, you know, which were kind of annoying at that time. But, you know, it's kind of you're missing very tiny, tiny little aspects of life. And I kind of always think, I mean, this is already what we do when we go to community. We are just collecting details and bring them on a wall, right? Life is all about little details that makes us to who we are and to 
at us as a human being. So we were thinking about that. And then last year, we got a call from Myanmar from an activist because my husband is active on social media. And this person asked us if we would paint the wall for Myanmar and Switzerland. And she said, you know, every image I see and every word that is spoken out for us gives me the courage to go on one more day. And I cried because I fully know what she means. I was like, yes, you're right. And if I can do that, I will do that. So we started to search a wall, which is really hard. Switzerland is like a desert of murals. It's like so, so difficult. So we found an illegal wall, which is overpainted, will be overpainted like right after. And we made a film with race briefingers. And from that day on, we were talking about maybe actually the people here long for the same. Let's find a bigger wall where we can create a wailing wall for people for their country, where they can express their pain and suffering. Because so many of us are traumatized, but we need to we need to learn or we need to heal them. We need to heal the pictures in our brain. We need to speak out what is inside, otherwise it will eat us. And I think this wailing wall is it's a little sign for doing this actually. So in October we started to doing it for Afghanistan and then we found finally a wall in Zurich for Myanmar, which I'm super happy about. We've been obviously following you a little bit and, and seeing the wall kind of coming together bit by bit. How how are you working it? Are people posting stuff to you? Are they emailing stuff to you? There's Myanmar people in Switzerland who are coming and helping paint the wall. How does the process work? So we we are working like on the same time there is an exhibition for Myanmar, which was very helpful. And the people from the exhibition Julia, like she's organizing it as a co-creator. She was kind of saying, let's do this together. There's a wall right at this exhibition place. You should paint this wall because we wanted to paint the wall in Basel. And we were like, oh yeah, why why not? That's that's a good idea. We don't mind where. We just want to have a wall for Myanmar, that's all. So first of all, we had to go through the whole legal process of getting the agreement of the government, which is a miracle. Absolutely. I can't explain until today how this happened. And then we we start to connect to the Myanmar community in Switzerland. So we would um, look who is here, what is the Burmese community, who lives in Switzerland. But it was hard because we were in chat at the same time. So it was a bit like a communication hassle. Because I think if you tell someone who, yeah, I mean, activists and, you know, like you say, like we make a mural. Yeah, what does it mean, right? It's kind of like, and no one expected that we we really make a big wall, right? So. We just knew we can make the wall three weeks before we started. So it was really back and forward. And I also didn't want it to see too much hope in the Myanmar, like in my friends from Myanmar, because I didn't want it that finally they, they are disappointed and it drags them down. So we were just kind of busy with legal stuff until three weeks before it started. And then we, we were searching an image of a woman that represent many. So that it's an image, not just one person or not just one hero from the, from the movement, but that represent anyone. And so we found this image of this mom who mourns over her son who died. So we used that image and in the clothes, we have a lot of space and we started to talk to the people here, but also on internet. And we spread it out to say, you can send us any image of your whole pain, your suffering, your fear, and we will paint it for you on the wall because the Myanmar community in Switzerland is too small. So we realized you have to open it up internationally. 
So I spent hours and hours and hours and days of kind of researching Myanmar people and, and writing them personally that they know this is really a person behind because yes, we are an NGO, but we are actually just a bunch of people, right? It's my husband and me and my kids. And then there's some, and Thomas and Tobias, and then some volunteers. So we are not like, we are not really working like an NGO. We are like, most of the time we put in is volunteer and we, we just keep doing it. We just believe, or I don't know, we, we hope, or we believe that if something should be done, the doors open and then we just keep on going. So I think it was very important when I wrote to people that they understand there's a kind of a person behind. There's just a simple mom who kind of under the bed and I don't know, you know, like people like you and me. So, yeah, so we were like kind of right. I wrote a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of messages and email and then connecting. And then we, it was kind of a funny coincidence that three weeks ago on a ski lift, just right after we came back from Chad on a ski lift, my son told uh, another little boy that my husband is a revolutionist. And this boy told his mom and his mom was like, what? You know, it came to me. And then I figured out that they have some fund for artists from Asia. So she said, you're actually super late. It's impossible, but you could try to give in a fund that you could fly in an artist from Myanmar. And that's why we could fly in um, one of the artists who came to help us. She, she lives in she had to leave Myanmar as well. And so we could fly her in and she helped us a lot by connecting as well with the community and um, painting. Yeah, so that was really nice. And now today, this Sunday, the Swiss Wormies community comes. They have no clue how many will come. And then we just, but we got around 160 messages of Myanmar people over, I mean, pictures. Like, I mean, we got many, many, many messages, like of kind of sharing and stuff. But we got around 160 messages of people gave in their work, which was really overwhelming, like beautiful for us. Can you tell us some of the kind of messages that people have been sending? What, what kind of things do they say? Yeah. So, for example, someone sent me an image of she holding her mom's hand and she wrote, I died twice, once when the coup came and the second time I died when my mom died. So there was one which really hits me. Um then there was one saying, my sister or my friend said, I cannot go out on the street because I'm afraid they will pull away the earrings, the golden earrings from my ears. Someone wrote hopeless, homeless, lifeless, futureless. And she wrote that this describes most of the Myanmar young people at the moment. And I mean, it's just words, but are, they are really strong. And I think it's so... Yeah, I don't know. There's not much words to say to add to this, to be honest. Pictures of burned houses, like guilty, depressed, and tired. Then we got picture of that I miss my mom, I miss my family. Someone wrote that he has a girlfriend, he's from China, he has a girlfriend in the Jin area, and he got the visa to go back to paint the ruins, and uh, he asked us, if he would kind of support his project. And so now we are working on this, how to make this happening. But it really moved me to see that just one person, and this is always what hits me, is like, it's not only one person, but people. It's the small people who makes the difference at the end. It's not the big things. We are always hoping for UN, big, big, big words, you know. But at the end of the day, it's always the small thing that 
kind of planting seeds of hope and love into the ground and and it kind of popping up but before it pops up it has to die and the price is always high so i feel also in these messages i felt that the seed has to fall into the air first and has to die that love can grow out of it there's kind of no straight way through it you wanted to ask something i'm sorry I just wondered whether there were messages from Rohingya refugees as well or, or whether it was specific to the most recent coup. No, it was also of Rohingyas. It was of Rohingyas, Khmer people as well. Um, it was very random. Yeah. And in terms of how you're organising it, are there messages of hope that go with the messages that people want to share or is it more a collective, just whatever people want to to give to you to put on that wall do you have any kind of I guess organization in terms of what process mm-hmm. should be do you know what do you know what I mean Sorry. yes yes yes, yes. <laughs> no, <I don't> <laughs> um how does it work we actually don't select we kind of take what people give I mean there were some when it's very there was one sentence we struggled with and we already struggled with this sentence in Hong Kong. And we know the sentence because many sentences we actually know of the revolution because they were similar in Hong Kong. And as we already stood up for several years in Hong Kong, we, we found a lot of similarity. And this was, we will never forgive. And for us, it was very hard. It's very hard to put that sentence down because if you never forgive, you cannot go on. You hinder yourself. It's like a chain you're putting on your hands. I do understand it. I fully understand it. And I know forgiveness is really hard. I know that I would never judge if someone can't forgive. That would be the last thing I would do. But I believe if we don't face it, I don't know. I Our kids will live in the same and it will be a chain of, we chain our our own leg. So it's, that was the only sentence, to be honest, where we where we cannot I understand the, per- the thing we will never forget because I think it's important that we don't forget where we come from. We need to know where we, are, where we stood. That gives us the motivation and the ground for tomorrow. So this was the only sentence. All the rest, we would actually put one-to-one on the wall and we don't really kind of put hope there and kind of we just put it all together because I think in terms, we are still in a grieving process. Of, it's like a monomal of grief right and of losing dreams and hopes and i think it's too early to just say oh everything will be fine and there will be hope and just hold on so i think it there's not much to be honest hope in these images but maybe the whole thing together is hopeful because you see people stand up for their grief and their pain and they name it so this together it's a network of can give us the energy of saying like this is who we are and I always think of my own story and our family story that our tears are like diamonds when they get healed. And then they were so rich. And I, when I look at this wall and all these images, I look at people, they are so rich. They are like, they are like shining diamonds of beauty. I don't understand why human has to go through so much pain to become more beautiful, but somehow there is a secret in it. I don't know what it is, but I think even my husband got more beautiful for the revolution. We all got more beautiful. It's a secret. I don't understand it. I'm screaming to God very often about it. I'm sometimes really super angry. I fight it with him so much. 
I was asking so often the same questions. Why love has to die first? Why love is so silent? Why a bomb is so loud? Why, why love is so silent? But there is a secret in it, which I don't understand. I don't know. But I see people who go through pain and who face it, they become so treasured. So we will put it all together. And we don't really follow a concept in it. <laughs> Where I space this space. <laughs> no concept. Well, that's, I mean, you, I, I don't know how you could put a concept around kind of tragedy in Myanmar right now. But uh, I think kind of what you're saying is so true. The, the beauty and even some people that, that we've spoken to have even said that with all the suffering and horror they, they face that they like themselves in this revolution, who they've become uh, and what they stand for, you know, that they have found something inside of themselves that they didn't know that they had. But I guess since we've been doing the podcast and we talk to people inside the country, outside, and this, this kind of thing you're doing gives so much hope to people inside that there's people out here far, far away from Myanmar who care and have not forgotten them and are, are doing anything, something just to to raise awareness, but also to let them know that we're here, we hear you, and your suffering is not hopefully in vain, but certainly not on notice. So I know it means a lot to people um, to know that you guys are out there all the way in Switzerland. I mean, for some of my friends, they're just amazed that this is even happening, that this is all for them, you know, that people, people in Switzerland are, are putting this together. Uh, how long will the wall be there once it's finished? Actually, it's very high. I don't think that anyone dared to pay that much money to overpaint it. And they plan to re-restorate or rebuild or like kind of, I don't know what they do, after four years. So it will be there for four years at least. Wow, four years. I really yes. want to see it. <laughs> yes, I'm very excited because it's really, it, it's going to stay like, I'm hoping that people see or like that the picture shines out that much dignity that people don't dare to spray over on the button. This is kind of my hope because this always happened, right? People just go and spray and don't care really. And I really hope this doesn't happen. And if this doesn't happen, you're going to stay for four years. But at least the other part, I don't think someone, because you have to be, I mean, you have to pay so much money. I mean, it's absolutely crazy what we are doing when it comes to finances. So I don't think anyone gonna gonna do this. And also you have to go through a huge process with the government and and everything. So I'm kind of very, very optimist. And how have you found the process then of uh, actually I think the artist you mentioned, I think she's actually coming on our podcast next week as it happens. Uh <laughs> ah, cool. Yes. She's a wonderful person. Um, but I assume that this kind of meeting of people and coming together is kind of a really beautiful process as well. Yes. Yeah. Yes. We were like family. Like it was really, really nice. It was like having family time. And, and I think sharing in a way also similar history, just very different, but it kind of, I mean, to be honest, sometimes, you know, when like this one aunt, she comes and helps from Myanmar and, she looks like um, my aunt in Hong Kong. So, you know, this is like, I know it's different. It's different cultures, but there is some similarity or some, I don't know, some moments. My kids feel so home around all these Myanmar people because they, they are half Asian and they, you know, like the way of communicating. Or there's just some things. It's kind of like, it's like meeting family and, and doing it. Yeah. So that was really nice. No, we had lots and lots of fun. 
we are often very tired. We have lots of fun. And I mean, like, we just, you know, still now we are like little children, you know, we look at it and we're just like, wow, crazy. This is like a miracle for me when I get all these messages. I would love to bring all the people they send us messages over and painting it together. But just this, this connection that you can do this together, this amazes me so much. In terms of um, actually in Switzerland itself, what is the kind of level of awareness of the current situation in Myanmar? Like people that don't have any connection and haven't had the life experiences that you've had, mm -hmm. your everyday kind of person that might come across what you're creating, will this be, you know, something that they would then have to go and read about to find out what's actually happened in the country? Would it be a surprise to them? Yes, it is not. I mean, at the moment, everyone is busy with Ukraine, right? There is not much space of, thinking about something else i think Myanmar is fully forgotten to be honest also other countries most of countries are forgotten at the moment we are always facing this because we are always working with forgotten places so if a um, cup of color go into something mostly it's forgotten so i'm facing this all the time that's why i think it's actually very important people are tired of war they don't want to hear horror stories so I'm at the moment, I'm really trying to get some medias on board because I think it's a hopeful story. It's not only a horror story. It's a hopeful story of resilience. As I say, it's a hopeful story of diamonds, of people who are really beautiful. Like you say, of people who can say, I liked myself more, you know? So at the moment, I'm trying to get some medias covered and I try to go with, go with this approach of this is hopeful, but it's very hard. It is very, very hard and I don't know if I get it yet. So we put a banner on it that people can know what it is about. And we want to put a um, QR code maybe on the wall that people could kind of click it and right away read something about it. Yeah, we, we try what we can. But I think actually just to hear the word Myanmar maybe already makes like, ah, oh, this is a country, right? Because it's just, we start by very low, right? Where people don't know anything or kind of forgot everything. I think both myself and Suzanne have experienced, I mean, I was in the UK until recently and okay. it is just like something that happened a while ago. It's not in the news anymore where, like you say, Ukraine is, is very much the current issue. And it just, you feel kind of desperate when you're so attached to the place and the situation and you actually know some of what's going on and the lack of awareness of like the world when there are, I mean, there is so much going on, but the fact that it, something can happen that's so, so um, big and so traumatic and so life-destroying mm -hmm. for so many people and it can just be trending on the news for a short mm -hmm. amount of time and then not anymore and like you say all these people living through this and all these people who have to cope with it every day I mean you just you worded it so amazingly when you were saying about being removed from the situation and, and feeling the guilt but also feeling like you miss it but then feeling bad because for the people that are there the reality of it is just so horrendous and it is, it's too easy for people to just get on with their lives. And something like what you're creating just brings, yeah, hope to so many, but also a message to those that aren't thinking about it currently as well, I guess, which is why I asked the question about the, the current level of awareness in Switzerland. Because I know mm. in my own country, it's pretty, pretty bad right now. They don't even know where the country is. And when you self have that emotional connection, it just it is, it's kind of, it's exasperating to think mm. that people are living through what they are and other people are just blissfully unaware mm -hmm. yeah exactly i i fully know what you mean i had a very hard very difficult uh, meeting 
Like I was standing in front of a class with many different nations two weeks ago. Like I was explaining them what we are doing because their class is right close to the wall. And I wanted the people knowing around at least what we are doing. So I went to this class and I was standing in front of, I don't know, maybe 30, 40 adults. And I was explaining them what we are doing, explaining where Mia is. And then one hand raised up and the woman asked, what do you do for Ukraine? And I stood in front of a whole class and I knew that this is a very tricky question because I'm kind of in the center of the focus. And if you say the wrong answer, like this could be very enormous consequences because it can be misunderstood very fast. So I was standing there and I said, I do have friends. And that's actually true. I do have friends in Ukraine and I really suffer with them. And the war in Ukraine in Donetsk is already since 2015. And since 2015, I know them. I went in Hong Kong on the street to collect money for them. I know that the situation is very horrible. But you guys, you get so much help at the moment. And there are so many organizations they are looking for you. And you are busy with finding new settlements, with fleeing, with looking at the news. You are in the midst of the war. But we are there for those they are forgotten. They are already since years in the war. They No one cares about them anymore. Those they... They are not in the news. They are not, they feel desperate because they had to get used to a daily life, which is a nightmare, where their nightmares just last not only three or four weeks, but like a year now. And if Ukraine is in this situation and no one cares about it anymore, I will come. I will stand there. And she fully, it was really great. I was so thankful because she said, okay, I understand. And I saw all the eyes of the others of many different nations who all feel the same. They feel forgotten. And I saw their eyes looking at me. With There was no one of Myanmar, but there were people from Iraq, Iran, Syria, Afghanistan, Tibet, like many, many different nations. And they looked at me with these eyes. Yes, we are forgotten. And it hurt me so much. I was like, there are so many nations where there is crazy things going on and we just... It's just not in the headline. And I think the sad thing is like Ukraine will be there soon too. There will be a day when Ukraine is no longer in our newspapers and people no longer care to sell that story every day. Um, Sadly, it will take longer because of the, I mean, here in Europe, obviously the countries have more of a, a personal stake, but I mean, Afghanistan a few months ago dominated the news and it's gone now. No one talks about it. Myanmar dominated for a very short period. And it, it, it's cruel that that's the new cycle of the world. I'm always saying we as people must push back against that. And I know people often say to me, oh, you know, obviously I care what you're doing, but, you know, I just I can't I can't listen to sad stories all day. You know, I, I don't have the bandwidth for that. I'm like, well, we need to find it because uh, these are real people. And one day we'll be the ones with the sad stories and there'll be no one left to listen to us, you know, if, if we don't listen now. So it's very sad. And, and I think it's beautiful what you guys are doing, those forgotten people and places. Mm-hmm. But I fear Ukraine will be forgotten too, you know. I also think so. Yes, totally. But this is not a good news you should say in front of a class, even though. It's- oh, yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> for sure. No, and I think you answered it so well. And Rahel, what is like, what is your hope? Like, what is your long term um, goal with your NGO? Like, what, what does Cup of Color, you just want to keep spreading this hope and resilience? And Yes, 
that's it. <laughs> I don't know. It's an interesting question because it's about like, right, you should have a, a future plan and the long-term plan and all these questions. And to be honest, we don't have. I mean, we always said if what we are doing makes one child smile, then we did it well. If one child's heart is changed, that you remember that she can create beauty, then I win because this child will go on and will carry this in your life and will give it on to others or an adult or an old woman or whoever. So maybe it's like the hope that people see that it's possible that they can create beauty in their surrounding and that they're doing it. And it's definitely a network. Like I think it's so easy to do it. Like when I got this email from this Chinese citizens who will go back to the Qin state, it really moved me because this is what we're doing. You just go and you take colors and you start painting. And I'm always feel so happy when I see other people doing this. So I think if you can inspire each other to, to spread beauty, if it's with food or flowers or, or paint or sport, it doesn't really matter actually with words, with, there's so many ways, right? Just with the thing we love to do. I always think, do what you love to do and do it well. Then you will make a change in the world. You know, Cup of Color, actually, like, since we're doing it, we always said, I open the door when someone knocks it. And I think every project, everything came out of a knocking on the door and we opened it. It was as simple as that. It was nothing more than that. We saw the demonstration in Hong Kong. We moved inside. It was a knocking on our door. I got a phone call. I got a message from Myanmar. It was a knocking on the door. I have a friend who is from Afghanistan. It's a knocking on the door. If someone speaks about a topic, it's a knocking upon the door. So it's like, and then just looking at it, and we don't have to react. We don't have to fast react to it. But just open the door and see what happened with my life when I get in connection with that. And doing what I love, I think then the world looks more beautiful, I guess. <laughs> I think that's a really great way of putting it. And I think <laughs> Ruth and I are certainly at a very figuring out what, what we want to do with ourselves. I think when you spoke about having that life-changing moment, and for both of us, the coup has been that moment in our lives to some extent, that kind of what is your purpose and are you doing the good you could be with, with your resources and your skills? So we're definitely going through that. And I think that's beautiful. Just like opening the door. It's, it's all uh, the advice we probably need right now. Just, <laughs> just opening the door and seeing where it takes us. But it, it's, it's really beautiful. And going back to what you were saying about how this tragedy brings out a beauty in people. I think you described it as diamonds. I think for myself, and I, I know, perhaps Suzanne is in a similar situation that we've gone back to these realities where people quite often haven't experienced anything and still expect more like we've come from a place where people had nothing and desperate situations and still wanted to help you and give more and it's just it just completely changes your perspective looking at humanity like my cousin's boyfriend's also from Hong Kong and like talking to him about his experiences. But I'm, I'm basically, I'm agreeing with what you're saying. People that have been through certain amounts of things then find and have compassion for others that are going through similar things. Um, so there is some hope in that. Yeah, I think with our own scarves, we can heal others, right? Mm. This is just um, 
as an invitation very simple. But I feel we are often afraid of opening doors and we're often afraid because we think we have to react then and we have to kind of make something very big. But I really strongly believe that God reacts to emergency slow. He looks at it and he faced the whole emotion in it. And I think if we learn that, if we learn to face emergency slow and facing them with our whole heart, we will slowly know what is our part in it and it will not be overwhelming. But the thing is, we react to everything too fast. We look at news like, it's too fast. So this is not opening at all. This is basically shut us down. And uh, I think this is my my hope that we inspire people that you can look at things without breaking down, but it can make you more beautiful. That suffering has so many emotions inside. But when we know these emotions, we know happiness in a way we will never know because emotions are opening like a curtain. You can only open as much as you know suffering, the more happiness you know. It's like a curtain that opens on both sides. So there is no way around it. And it will not overwhelm us and it will not be like frightening us if we take time. Is there any, Rahel, like final message you would give to the forgotten people of Myanmar? Um, cause we know we have like quite a, a large listenership in the country. Um, although power cuts and internet have been making it harder and harder for people to access, uh, many things, including the podcast. But I know there are some people who download it and they pass it around and things oh, so like nice. that. But is there any message that you would give to those people who, who may listen to this? I mean, there's maybe many. Put it in one sentence. I just want to say thanks for your contribution, for standing, for being a neighbor, a mother, a friend, for whoever surrounds you. In Hong Kong, there's a saying, one day we will meet again under the, it's kind of like the president place because we all were like hiding under the masks. And I sometimes look forward, or that's my belief that one day, I don't know, I hope that one day the world will be restored. And we will meet all again and we can hug each other and we can say it was good what we did. And I wish that you know you did enough. Thank you for listening to RNR Podcast. You can follow us on all major social media platforms. It's at RNR Podcast. Spelled A-H-N-A-H. Please like, follow and subscribe. Myanmar remains in our hearts and thoughts. We have not forgotten you. Let's keep the conversation going.